um, by the devil. And um, who else? Uh, I, I spoke out of my own struggles with that. And I feel like this message kind of goes hand in hand with that. As a matter of fact, at some point I was a little um, overcome with the thought that, oh my gosh, I'm preaching the same message again, just with a different title. Um, but, <laughs> but the thing is, this is what I struggle with. And so I'm not really, I, I don't want to preach y'all out of um, a position of achievement. Oh, I've achieved this and let me enlighten you because this is really um, a little bit selfish because I struggle with this and I wanted to dig in the word and find out the answer. Lord, help me with this. And so I'm going to share with you what he shared with me. Um, so tonight is June 1st. And the title is Fuel Up. And this came actually from, we have this little book in our house. It's um, famous quotes, funny quotes. Miss Pat, I think, had given it to me. And there was one, it's divided into sections, you know, um, beauty, pride, aging, all that kind of stuff. And this was under discouragement, which is my nemesis. So um, this, this quote came out of that, and it's pretty neat. It says, if the enemy can't puff you up with pride, he gets you with discouragement. It's his greatest tool. And I thought about that. It really hit me because I feel like I vacillate between those two things, between pride in achievement, pride in what God's given me, pride in whatever, and then all the way to the other extreme of discouragement, worthlessness, depression, you know, pitiful, all that kind of stuff. And it's really true. That's where... The devil wants you. He either wants you so full of yourself that you can't accomplish anything or so down on yourself that you're just a vacuum and you suck everything in. And, and what hit me is, um, some of y'all know, I'm really, I really love science. That's kind of my thing. And whenever I look into science, I see God. Um, and I can't help it. And so every time I get the opportunity to preach, it's like, okay, what good science channel thing <laughs> can I share with them? So I started thinking about this, and it really spoke to me. Um, black holes and stars that imagery came forth when I began to think about pride and discouragement and how um, pride is kind of like those exploding stars that get just so full and bloated that they explode and they destroy everything around them but discouragement is more like a black hole where um, the gravity of the star itself collapses in on itself and the gravity is so strong and so forceful that no light can escape from it. And the word says that we're to shine like stars, right? So light in, Pastor Eric taught us this, in the book of John, there's a comparison between light and life. Whenever you see the word light, the light came into the world, you replace that with life. Um, so in that instant, if you're going to think about that with a star, the light that it's emitting is the life. It's life-giving. Our sun is life-giving to us, right? So that's the purpose of a star is to emit life outward, okay? So if we're collapsed in on ourselves, if we're so discouraged that everything is falling in and collapsing in on ourselves, and the power is so strong that no light can come out, then we're useless. And the thing about a black hole is that anything that comes near it gets sucked into that too. I mean, we've all known people, we've probably all been that person in the room that's having that day where we're really, really discouraged. And when people come around to encourage us, we just kind of suck the life right out of them and pull them into that too. And I don't want to be a black hole. Um, I started looking into stars. I started, I wanted to see, okay, where, where's some truth in this, Lord? Show me something through your creation. And what's really fascinating is 
the life cycle of a star. The, the black hole is at the end of the spectrum. It's the death of the star. So let's start at the beginning. Um, when a star forms, it forms from chaos, basically. There's stellar gases and dust just out there in the universe. Okay, and when there's a dense cloud of it, the denseness of the cloud begins to have gravity and starts to pull in on each other, and all of a sudden, it starts to form a core. And when it starts to form a core, a layer is added, and another layer. And that began to speak to me about our foundation in Jesus when we begin as baby Christians, and we begin to get that foundation layered upon us. And then all of a sudden, the weight of that core gets so, so strong that it begins to spin. Did you know that stars spin like planets? So it starts to spin, and as it starts to spin, it starts to heat up, and a nuclear reaction starts to take place in the core, and it's nuclear fusion. So basically, a star is made up of a bunch of hydrogen, and is this getting too complicated for you? <laughs> okay. Hydrogen is the basic, the basic element. It's the lightest element, right? Isn't that correct? Okay, so you've got a bunch of hydrogen in this in the star. What it starts to do is the nuclear fusion, it starts to fuse together, the hydrogen atoms start to fuse together to create helium. When that process, more heat, more light is created than what's necessary to continue that process. Does that speak to y'all about anything? Okay, so our lives in Jesus. We need a certain amount of energy to sustain us, but we should be producing, right? Aren't we supposed to be shining on people and giving life to people? So that's what's happening in the star, is that as this helium is forming, um, to form more helium, it doesn't require that much energy, but it's putting out an enormous amount of energy, and it begins to give life. And all the dust that's still kind of surrounding the cloud begins to form planets. And then you have a planet like Earth, and God brings life into it. That's how we're here. Okay, so that's the formation of it. Well, there's different types of stars. You have little bitty stars called red dwarfs, and you have big giant ones called blue giants, and then you have kind of like the in-between, like our sun, be a yellow or an orange star. Okay, so the thing about little bitty stars is that they're the most numerous. If you look out into the night sky, we actually probably can't see very many of them because there's so many of them, but they're so small but they only produce enough energy for themselves. They don't really affect anything else. And they last forever. They last for trillions and trillions of years, but they're not affecting anything. So they're just kind of taking up space, right? I mean, to me, that seems kind of, what's your point, God? Why'd you put those there? What are they there for? I mean, they're there to teach us a lesson. Okay, so on the other extreme, you have the, the blue giants, and they're so enormous, and they're putting out massive heat. But they expire in about 100,000 years. So in the grand scheme of things, it's a very short time for a star. Our sun, for example, has a lifespan, they estimate, of 10 to 15 billion years. Okay, so 100,000 years is not very long, not very useful for a star. It produces off a great amount of heat, but it burns out really, really quickly because it uses up all of its hydrogen. Okay, so in the middle there is a balance. There's a balance of a life-sustaining star, a light-emitting star that can endure and produce change around it and, and support life. So that's kind of where we want to be. If we we're going to compare ourselves to stars, I'd want to be a yellow star or an orange star, right? Enough producing enough energy and enough light to affect those around us. Okay, so let me get to discouragement, because that's really what I want to talk about. Um, well, let me tell you this. The thing about a black hole, the reason why, I told you how they form, and the life sustainability of it. 
The reason why a black hole would form is that it, it runs out of fuel. And when it runs out of fuel, that's when it collapses on itself. Okay, so if we're that star, what is our fuel and how do we not run out of it? Because the, the black hole, remember, is our illustration of discouragement when we find ourselves in those places. And once you kind of begin to collapse upon yourself, you have a choice. You come to a crux. A star can actually choose to begin a new type of nuclear fusion and go into another stage, or it can continue and collapse in on itself and suck everything around it. So we'll get to that in a little bit. But I just thought that was really interesting. Okay, so let me tell you um, definition of discouragement. This is going to lay the foundation for the rest of the message. Definition of discouragement is to be deprived of courage or confidence. And so those two things, um, you can kind of find yourself in one boat or the other, maybe both. But maybe you're a person that doesn't have a whole lot of courage. You know, God's called you to certain things, but you just can't muster up the motivation or the courage to begin those things. Or maybe you lack in confidence. Maybe you know God's called you to something, but you don't really believe that you can do it. Okay? Well, if he's given you this task, the word says, do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid. The Lord your God is with you. So why are we deprived? How can we be deprived if God is going to give us this courage and this encouragement this confidence, if he's with us, deprived to me is kind of like if you had a stream of water and somebody cut off the water source upstream and all of a sudden it starts to dry up. Well, who's having access to my water? Why am I drying up? Because my source is supposed to never dry up. So let's look into that because that's where we find ourselves a lot of times and it's because we're giving access, our source, uh, we're giving access to our source to someone else. Okay, so if you were to think of all the characters in the Bible, um, one might come to mind as the most discouraged. He wrote a whole book about how discouraged and meaningless things were. Anybody? Solomon. <laughs> Solomon. It says that he, he built parks. He had all these wives. He had all these riches. God gave him all this wisdom. And it was all meaningless. All of this effort that he put forth to gather all these things to himself, it was a chasing after the wind. Okay, so he was, that, I mean, you would think that he would be, with all this achievement, he would be one of the happiest men. But it wasn't because he, his source was not from the true source. Um, what does discouragement look like? In my life, maybe in your life, discouragement looks like depression. It looks like inactivity. It looks like a lack of motivation. Like that dried up riverbed. When you find yourself sitting on the couch knowing you have things to do and you can't manage to get off the couch and do them. Or wherever you may be. So what does it feel like? Why, why do we get ourselves in that position? What do we convince ourselves of? What are the lies that we're believing that get us in that place where we start to collapse in on ourselves? One of them is, this is one for me, you can raise your hand if you identify. The task is too big, it's too overwhelming, or it's too unfulfilling. It's not, it's not fulfilling. I don't want to do that, Lord. That just doesn't fill me up. 
I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to do children's churches. I'm calling. I said that, and that's like I'm gonna. Shove you back there. No. <laughs> okay. So the task is too big. It's too overwhelming. It's too unfulfilling. Let's go to um, Philippians 4:13. Okay, so the problem is when we're faced with a task that we think is too big, is that really what we're looking for is we're looking for some kind of assurance of success before we begin, right? We're like, okay, I'm not going to start this because I don't know if I'm really going to be successful about that. Um, I'm kind of that person where... I'm a perfectionist, but there's also a lot of laziness in there. And that's like, how can you be a perfectionist and be like, believe me, I can do it. Okay, this is the thing. If I don't know that I can do it 100%, I don't want to do it at all. So I get stuck. It's like, well, why haven't you cleaned the closet? Why haven't you finished this task or whatever? Well, because I knew I couldn't finish it completely, so I didn't want to get started and have to stop in the middle. I don't want to fail. It's a fear of failure. Okay, but is that truth? I mean, there's some true things about it, but is that God's truth? So let's look at Philippians 4.13. The Word says that I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. So the clause there is through Him who gives me strength. I can do everything. No, I can't do everything, period. But I can do everything through Him who gives me the strength. So if I'm tapping into him as my source, then I can do these things. It may not be in the plan and the grand scheme that I had laid out. It may not be in the order that I had laid out. It may not be in the um, life plan that I had. But I can accomplish what God is telling me to accomplish because it's him who gives me the strength to do it. Um, Y'all probably heard this saying before, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? Things can seem very big. When I undertook the task of homeschooling the children, I thought, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? You know, this is too big for me. But I know the truth. I know it right here that if the Lord calls me to it, He's going to equip me. But putting my fingers to work, putting my mind to work, putting my rear end in the chair and teaching the kids and getting frustrated and doing these things, if I'm spinning in my own strength, Man, it gets, it gets really frustrating. It's really discouraging really quick because I'm tapping into the wrong source. It's like I'm fueling up at the wrong gas station. Amen. The Lord has encouraged me through this whole thing, though, to take it one bite at a time, to take it one day at a time. Okay? Yes, we've got all this curriculum cover. Yes, we're behind. Yes, these things are true. But the truth of it is is that God's called me to it. So I'm going to do what he's called me to today and then let tomorrow worry about it. So, okay, so another thing, another thing that we say when we're discouraged and it's our excuse not to do anything, um, my efforts are useless. I don't see any results. Even my best, my best work, the best I can put forth, I don't see any progress. Um, I'm raising a toddler right now, a two-year-old, who's very, very frustrating to me. And lately I have been very discouraged with her because I don't see the results. And I'm encouraging some dear friends of mine, 
undergoing the same kind of thing. Hey, don't worry about it. Don't think it's going to be accomplished in one day. You know, put forth the effort. Look at this in the expanse of weeks, not one day. You know, it's going to feel overwhelming, but you'll get there. I'm telling them that. And meanwhile, I'm in tears pulling out my hair. Why isn't this child listening to me today? You know, it's, it's, it seems like I'm not getting the results. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. There, 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 there. Mm-hmm. there. Okay, 13.9 says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So when I'm looking at the results of my efforts in the day, in whatever task it is that God's given me, whatever task it is that God's given you, whatever he's called you to, and you're looking at your efforts, they may be your best efforts, and you don't see the results that you think should be there, remember this, you see in part. You don't see the bigger picture. God may be trying to get something out of you that's not in your grand plan. He's trying to do a heart change in you. He's trying to do a perspective change in you. Like Brother Zeke um, preached about, it's not really about you. It's about him getting you where he needs you to be to do the task you're assigned to. So when we focus on what we think the end goal is, for example, with, with discipline with my child, I think the end goal is, is to have an obedient child that doesn't give me any trouble and I can just tell her to do something. There's no frustration there. Really? <laughs> Is that even a realistic thing with a child? I mean, it's not, right? That's my task. That's the overall task is to train them up. So I'm expecting it to get easier. Oh, well, there's a, there's a fallacy right there. That's, again, a wrong fuel source. Um, number three, and a third way we feel. Uh, we compare ourselves or our resources with others and we see that we lack, right? Well, I can't do that, Lord. I mean, of course she can do it because she doesn't have this. She's got this. He's got this. He's got these resources available to him. Or, you know, he's already walking in his calling. Of course it's easier for him. Um, Matt purchased a worship conference in a box, and there was a speaker, Lincoln Brewster. You've probably heard of him on the radio. And he said something really um, profound. He said, a lot of people want to be where I am, but they don't want to do what I've done to get here. And that's kind of when we compare ourselves with others, you don't know where they are along the journey. You don't know where they are in their walk with the Lord and what God has had to invest in them to be able to bless them with whatever it is that you're envying, whatever it is that you feel like you don't have and it's not sufficient for you. Um, Let's go to James 3.16. I really like this scripture. James 3.16 says, For wherever you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. I wouldn't think that those two things would be the seed for every evil practice, but the word says they are. Envy and selfish ambition, 
um, when we begin to care, uh, compare ourselves with other people, then we're, we're putting ourselves at a disadvantage because God has not called them to the same path that he's called you to. And you're getting discouraged and all of these things feel overwhelming and collapsing in on you because you're not focusing. Your eyes are not on Jesus. They're on someone else. And you're not called to their life. You're not called to anyone else's life in here except your own. And God's got a perfect path that he's designed for you. And when you begin to compare your walk with someone else's, it's not ever going to look like someone else's. I know a lot of times we like to find commonality. I know when we're doing counseling or when we're forming friendships, we like to say, oh, man, I went through that same thing, and this is what I experienced. We're not saying your walk's going to look like mine. We're saying, I can identify with what you're feeling. This is what I learned. Maybe it can be a tool in your belt. Your, your life is not going to look like anyone else's, and that's okay. It's supposed to be that way. It's a good thing. Um, a fourth one. We feel like we're not equipped to handle this. <laughs> I mean, this kind of goes with the task is too big, but this is a particular one that um, that I really struggle with. <laughs> I can't, no, I can't. My answer usually when they say, can you do it? No, I can't. No, because all these reasons I can't. I mean, I just don't see how it'll work. <laughs> can you not say no, Cassidy? Can you just think about it? Okay, yeah, let me see how Jesus would work this out, you know. But I immediately want to say, no, I'm not equipped. Not me. I'm just nobody. I'm just nothing. Yeah, that's right, I am. But through Jesus, I can do all things, right? Okay, so most of Christianity, are we trained for what God asks us to do? Not really. It's on-the-job training, right? I've never done children's church before. That's okay. We'll help you. I've never done vacation Bible school before. That's okay. I'll help you. I've never done uh, worship in this guy. I've never played the drums before, Brandon, right? Never played the drums before except like on the counter at home or something. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> really? You really messed it. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> but it's on the job training. <laughs> but the reason why it's on the job training is because it causes us to rely on him. If we had the capacity in ourselves already, then why would we need Jesus? We would just be everything, right? We'd be our own solar system to ourselves. We wouldn't need any fuel from anywhere else, right? We'd just be self-sufficient. Um, there's some good scriptures that go along with this. I really want to get to these. Let's go to 2 Peter 1.13. given us everything we need for life and godliness. <coughs> Through what? Our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So how do we get knowledge of Jesus? Where do we find that? In the Word. So are we starting to get a hint of where our fuel source should be? Amen. Not between our ears, not the thoughts that we hear, but maybe right here. Okay. Um, Isaiah 41. This is this is good. This is one that you put on your uh, mirror in your bathroom. Who has the Jesus Calling book? I know the ladies do, right, from the ladies' retreat. Did y'all read it today? Anybody read it today? It's a good one. 
figured. <laughs> I got I stole it from, from her. Am I broken? No. Okay. Isaiah forty one thirteen. Okay, right, so the problem is I feel like I'm not equipped to handle this. But the Lord says, For I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. That is awesome. I mean, God is just, he's not just giving you a task and watching you struggle like a worm underneath his finger. I mean, he's going to take you by the right hand. In the right hand, which you really kind of, that's where your strength is. That's what you do the task with. He's taking that. So if he's occupying your right hand, then who's doing the work? He is. He is. I will help you. Not I'll tell you what to do and then you go and do it. Like I tell my kids. (laughs) This is how you empty the dishwasher. Go do it. You can figure it out. No, I will take you by the right hand. I will help you. That's beautiful. 2 Timothy 3. Are we flipping too much? No, this is great. <laughs> That's what we used to. Timothy 3, 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So where are we equipped? In the scripture. That's the correct fuel source. Okay, here's another one. What about when your own sin produces obstacles? When you reap the circumstances of something that you've done that's sinful, it doesn't have to be a gigantic sin, just something that you've done, okay? But there's, circum- there's, there's consequences to that, and now there's this obstacle that you can't really, you feel like you can't fulfill what God's called you to do because of your own mess up. That doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> okay, so what do we do with that? How, how does that feel when you know that you're the one in the way of God's of God's calling, or that's how it appears, right? It appears that way. Lord, I've let you down. Lord, I've done this, and because I threw the door dollhouse across the room, <laughs> I shared it all myself. Because I did that, now I can't really be the godly witness to my children that I want to be. It's over, right? I've put a finality stamp on it. It's done. I messed it up too far, Lord. What does Romans eight twenty eight say? All things work together for the good of those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. Same thing, right? Okay. This is <laughs> all things work together. So how does God do that? How does He work things even when you mess it up? How does He do that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how He does it. But He's been doing it for a long time because He's been dealing with man for a long time, and He knows how to do it. And I know He knows how to do it because He does it with me all the time. I mess up all the time, and He still manages to work it out and get His will accomplished. So what do we do? How do we avoid this? Well, number one, stop sinning. Stop sinning. Be holy where you can be holy. Not where, everywhere. Be holy, okay? Stop sinning. Stop being an obstacle production facility. Right? I don't want to be an obstacle production facility. I don't want to be constantly churning out things for God to have to go, okay, course correction. What does your GPS say whenever you make a wrong turn? Recalculating. 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 (laughs) I don't want to do that to the Lord. I really want to be as obedient as I possibly can so that he doesn't have to 
always recalculate around my mess ups. Okay? But also, there has to be true repentance in it. We can't just rely on the fact of the Romans 8.28, that God's going to work all things out. There has to be true repentance. And true repentance is not just, oh, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me, work it out for me. Okay? No, I mean, it's stop doing that. Really turn away from it. Find another way to deal with that issue than to give in to your flesh. Okay. Number six.
there. So all of these things are out of our control, but they're not out of God's control. Psalm 57. Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me. For in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. This is not available to those outside of his covering. Just like they stretched out the hookah and the children stepped under it, it's not just an open invitation to whoever. I mean, you have to belong to the Lord. That's a, that's a benefit of being His. Let me just tell you all this. Sydney asked me the other day, she said, Mom, do you have to be blessed? I thought, what do you mean? No. Well, no, you don't have to be blessed. You can choose, you can choose a path of wickedness. Yeah, you can choose that. That's fine. You can choose that and you won't be blessed. That's fine. You know, I got really angry with her. And then I thought, well, at least, she, you know, she's being honest, okay? And I said, baby, what do you mean do you have to be blessed? She said, well, um, sometimes I want to be blessed. You know what I mean? Sometimes I want to be obedient. Like when you tell me don't jump on the couch, but then I really want to do it anyway. So sometimes I don't want to be blessed because I'd rather just do what I want to do. <laughs> Stop for Sydney. She's honest. Thank you, Sydney, for telling me that. Um, but that's flesh, and we all fight against those things, you know. So, yes, you can choose to step out of God's covering, but when you do, I mean, that's your choice. Mama can't choose that for you, which is, oh, I wish I could choose it for my children, you know. I don't want to yeah. see any of them. But it's your choice to choose the path of blessing or choose your own way. That's, that's your choice. But let me tell you the benefits of being, being in God. There's protection. There's covering. There's mercy. There's instruction. There's wisdom. There's life. You want to choose another path? You want to choose the path of destruction and and miserable living? So we started naming people that we know that have chosen that way. And like, do you want a life like that, Sydney? No, Mom. And a few days later, she said, Mom, I just want to let you know, I I, I choose. I want to be blessed. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that's at 7, so we'll see at 8. Okay, so back to this. Verse 2, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. So is it upon is it upon me to make sure that my circumstances are in order so that God's purpose is fulfilled to, for me? Okay, so um, let's say a disaster happens and, it, and that wasn't in your life plan. This wasn't the way that you saw things to go for your life. Does that mess up God's purpose for you? Can anything, the scripture we read, can anything separate you from the love of Christ? Nothing can. You can choose another path, but as long as you're in Him, He will fulfill His purpose for you. That's that's something to cling to. Okay, so how do we overcome discouragement? The Word says, rejoice always, for this is God's will for you. God's will for you is to be rejoicing, to be joyful always. But we find ourselves in periods of discouragement. We find ourselves in, in I can't get off the couch today, the mully grubs. You know, those, those things, those days, however you want to define it. I fought with this thing my whole life. I feel like it's this cycle that comes upon me. And it's not a hormonal thing. It's just that it's a spiritual thing, I guess. I see people in my family fight with it that are not in the Lord. They don't have the benefits that I do. But I know better. I know that I can run into the strong tower of His name. I can find refuge there. Okay? So, 
The Lord wants us to be rejoicing always. So what do we have to do? How do we get there? How do we not let these things affect us? We have to change the source of our fuel. So, Miss Diane, I think you have a well out on your property. Was there poison in your well recently? It went bad. Went bad. There's so she's got to find another water source. So if you're finding, if your circumstances, I mean, your circumstances are always going to be chaotic because we live in a messed up world. God's restoring that. He hasn't completed that yet. Your circumstances are always going to be something that you didn't plan on. Now, you can't wait for that to change for your joy to be complete. You got to find the the true source. Truth. Truth is the only sustainable fuel that we have. So the enemy can't <coughs> deprive us of courage and confidence if it's coming from the truth. He can't deprive us of that. He can't take that from us. He can't take the word of God that's been planted in me. He can't take that from me. I can choose to believe his lies and tap into his source, or I can choose to tap into the truth. Let's go to um, 1 Peter 1. First Peter. Recently, um, a lady um, passed away. I didn't really know her very well. Um, she was a mom of some, of a child at the same school that my kids go to, and um, just hearing it from the circles, I couldn't stop thinking about it. It really it hurt my heart because I didn't know. Um, you know, when you don't know people, you don't know their relationship with the Lord. I mean, I have my guesses, but, you know, I'm not Jesus. Um, but the thought of this woman, hearing that she passed away, and the thought of right now, right now, she's sitting in hell. Right now. Like, this isn't like, oh, some people die and go to hell. Yeah, we all know that. That's why we evangelize. No, like, this was a person that I saw pick up her daughter from school her daughter hug her, her interact with people. She's a living, breathing human being. And the possibility is there that she's sitting in hell right now. And she has no chance. There's no second chance for her. It, it horrified me. Because I thought of how many times did I stiff on God? How many times did he call out to me? And I said, rather not. I'd have to give up too much. Not ready yet. I know, I know you're true, but I'm busy. I don't want it. I'm not ready. How many times did I do that? And how many stupid situations did I get myself into where I could have been going like that and I would find myself sitting in hell right now with no other chance? That thing overwhelmed me. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but it, it brought mercy in a very real way. It confronted me with mercy again. And I felt that feeling of when I got born again all over again. It, it's that unmerited favor. I don't know what I did, Lord, for you to hold out for me one more year, one more day. Why you didn't take me out when I was in this situation. Why I didn't end up in jail. Why I didn't end up this, that, or the other. How, why were you so merciful to me? And yet people go to hell every day. I mean, people go to hell. It could have been me. I could be sitting there and y'all wouldn't know me. I wouldn't have children. I wouldn't have, that, that overwhelmed me. 
And so it kind of renewed my joy. It, it, it was a wake-up call to me of, what do you have to be depressed about? You have been redeemed. Amen. How dare you sit yeah. in this? Amen. You know, when you look at where you could have been, and there are people there now, people that you know are in hell right now, and you are not. So how dare you sit and be sad? How can you not rejoice in just the simple fact of your salvation? Amen. Let's go to uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you, who through God's faith, um, through faith, are shielded by God's power, a benefit of belonging to the Lord, right? We're shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, in what? In this great mercy that we've been granted, you greatly rejoice. In this, in what? In great mercy, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Really, what have I had to suffer? A dirty floor, laundry on the floor, a stubborn child, I'm suffering. And I've got the molly grubs about that? Shame on me. These trials have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He deserves that praise, glory, and honor, right? Yeah, Doesn't yeah. he deserve that? Yeah, yeah. So our choice, right? Can, let's go back to the star thing. Let's sit and let's collapse. All of these things, it's, the task is too big. I'm not equipped. They have more resources than I do. These circumstances are out of my control. I have a right to feel this way. I'm going to suck the light that's supposed to be emitting from me. I'm going to suck it into a deep, dark hole. And then everybody that comes near me, I'm going to suck the life out of them too. Or can we choose instead to be refined? Can we choose instead to have our faith prove genuine? So how is our faith proved genuine? Right by how we respond. Though you have not seen Him, and even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Amen. So those two things go together, right? Amen. You say you believe in Him. Are you filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy? Yes. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So how do we get there? Let's skip to verse 13. Prepare your minds for action. Yes. Hey, he didn't say work out and prepare your muscles to go run around the world and spread the gospel. Prepare your minds for action. So what kind of actions are our minds supposed to be doing? Supposed to be warring against discouragement. Supposed to be casting down those thoughts. Our minds need to be actively warring against this enemy. Be self-controlled. Our flesh needs to be in submission to our spirit. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Don't set your hope on your circumstances changing or things getting easier, Cassidy. <laughs> Don't set your hope on when the kids are out of school, it's going to be easier. When they're grown and they're married, then I can relax. When they're old enough to enter the dishwasher, then I won't have to do that anymore. Things will be easier. 
if my joy is coming from that, it's it's not going to sustain me, right? My hope needs to be on the grace given to me when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Who had Play-Doh as a kid? We all had Play-Doh, right? Do you remember those little the little molds where you put the Play-Doh in, you squeeze, and the hair would come out? Okay. So think about it like if you had like one of those little, the little teddy bear mold. You push the Play-Doh in, and you push it, and then you pop it out, and it looked like a teddy bear. Okay. So you have evil desires, and your life can be conformed and can be shaped by those evil desires, or it can be molded and shaped and conformed to the Word. So what do you want to look like? Just as he, uh, do not conform to the evil desires when you had, you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Okay, let's turn real quick to Colossians 3.15. And this is our last scripture. Okay, so let me tell y'all what Peter just said. Peter said, prepare your mind for action, be self-controlled, set your hope on the grace to be given you, don't conform to evil desires, and be holy. Colossians 3.15 continues this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Okay, that word peace is not lack of conflict, right? We've been taught good in this church. Peace is shalom, which is correct order, the correct flow of authority from God all the way down. Okay, so when we let the correct flow of authority rule in our hearts, our source of fuel is correct, where we're getting our fuel from, where we're getting our life from is correct. The devil can't deprive us of those things. The peace of Christ, let that rule in your heart. Since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Thankful is the opposite of grumbling. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Be fueled up on the word of Christ. Let it dwell in you richly. You can't dwell on it. It can't dwell in you if you're not putting it in. Fuel up. As you teach, admonish, and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Amen. 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 That's what I got, y'all. Matt told me she's going to preach about gas and stars. I understood gas, I didn't get the stars. What did you see after the gas? <laughs> All joking aside, in the spirit-filled arena, we very often get used to a couple songs. It may be a prophecy, you know, maybe a tongue or an interpretation. We call that hearing from God. I would say hearing from God is when the messages address the needs of the congregation, and it didn't happen because of a survey. It happened because the Holy Ghost brought that. One of the beautiful things about our church, by the way, I was asked not all that long ago, and I told you, a little rabbit term. 
why do we let women speak? Isn't it pretty obvious why we let women speak? <laughs> <laughs> Cassidy said the same thing that I said when we began. That was the Holy Ghost. But she said it in a way that was easier for you to digest. That is also the Holy Ghost. <laughs> this is why we want people speaking on Wednesday night. It came right out of her life. I know her. And it came right out of her life. And it makes me so, so proud. Uh, I want to close the service. I'd like to point to a couple of scriptures. One was Psalm 57. It was the second verse. She read it to you. I won't lie to you about it. It basically describes the Lord's job as to fulfill the purpose He gave you in your life. Uh, it's redundant in the Psalms. It's also Psalm 138. It, it shows up quite a few places. If you're under a burden to do the will of God, I'm not sure that you're quite understanding the will of God. Uh, he, he desires for you to have an abundant, glorious life. And it's, it's not hard. Holiness is not a hard thing. It's as natural as breathing. What's hard is to read the consequences of sin. That's, that's yeah, all. Uh, I do want to read to you this. will come from 2 Corinthians. It'll be the first chapter. By the way, did the message minister to you? Yes. What's your name if it ministers to you? Okay, the rest of you are beyond hope. <laughs> that's all we got. There is no more. I'm teasing. Everybody raised their hand. You know, if it ministered to you, that means it served you, right? Served you. That means you won't leave here without being changed by it. Because to hear it and be excited about it and say, oh, what a good word, and then not do anything differently, is to insult the speaker, the message, and the ultimate giver of, of the word. So we're going to be doers of the word. But this comes from 2 Corinthians, would be the first chapter, starting in uh, the 8th verse. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the providence of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. What an amazing thing for an apostle to say. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that we will that He will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Since this describes the faith we're in. You go from trouble to trouble and God makes it all good. There was a scripture that was misquoted a couple times. Not by Cassidy. It's, it's my fault. I probably started it incorrectly. <laughs> Romans 8.28 does not say all things. It says in all things God works. Do you hear the difference? Not everything feels lovely. But in everything, God is working for your good. You have to give Him a chance. The book of Philippians 17 times. 17 times in the book of Philippians alone, Paul says, joy, glad, or rejoice. Why would you have to rejoice? Apparently it's leaking out. Like being renewed. you got to do it again and again. I wish it was permanent. But it's something that we have to fan all around you all of our society is based on you feeling disenfranchised in some way wronged in some way hurt a victim in some way and there are plenty of places that will cater to that because it will fleece you you know pay me and I'll give you 17 reasons that you should 
feel justified in the way that you feel. The kingdom is about learning how to rise in your faith above all of those circumstances. Laugh in the face of your enemy and do the will of God anyway. Amen. Little old Baptist lady taught me one phrase and she was unrelenting about it. Those of you that were there is Becky Carlson. Matthew, you remember her, huh? No matter what you said, she'd look at you and go, nevertheless, God. <laughs> you know? How are you doing? I don't feel so good. Nevertheless, God. You know, go, yes, ma'am. I'm in. But it was her perspective. I had no idea the, the terrible, terrible turmoil she'd been through in her life. But to her, it was all, nevertheless, there's a God and He's saving. Come on, that's that's a perspective that's worthwhile. Your body cannot feel good. Maybe it's difficult to get out of bed, but your spirit can rise. Amen. Amen. I watch people die in a victorious way. Yeah. Pastor, I've seen that many times now. It's an amazing thing that you can watch somebody die in a victorious way. And you can watch somebody live in a dying way. That's an amazing thing. But that is the gospel. I pray that you choose life. If you have all against somebody, anybody, today pick up the phone and get rid of it. You're not meant to carry it, but get rid of it. If you got mad at somebody in this church, don't leave the church and say everything's okay. Don't act like it didn't happen. It mattered. It happened. And say you're sorry. Move on. If they don't forgive you that, they'll take that up with their kids. Get right. Get right with the Lord. And when we come in here Sunday, we'll all feel amazing. That's life. That's what it is. If you have a shot at it, everyone. If you don't know every person in this church, get to know them. Everybody. We're too small to form clicks. And if there's a thousand of us, I still won't want you to do it. Sit in a different place when you come in next Sunday. We're in such creatures of heaven. Sit somewhere else. Find some other seat. Sit next to somebody that you haven't sat next to yet. If they don't love you, they don't know you well enough yet. It's your fault. Make sure they get to know you. Amen? Amen. Stand up. We'll pray. Cash, you did pray. You did all right, didn't Matthew? <laughs> she made me look good. Difficulties are bound to come, but we have a Lord whose strength will work in us. It work in us. You cannot be overcome. You can. Mighty God, Lord, we thank you. I believe your words hit their mark through this anointed woman. Lord, I ask that we would honor you by actions that are worthy of the high calling that you have put upon us. Lord, let us get right with each other. Let us get right with you. You are the king who brings everything in heaven or on earth in submission to the voice of your spirit. Lord, we love you. We pledge our obedience. And we ask, because you love us, that you would give us the strength to carry out your will. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.